0: Our last text for the evening is in Matthew's Gospel. It's chapter 1, uh, verses 18 down to 25. Uh, This uh, will be our text to to study for a couple minutes uh, before we close with a couple more songs uh, tonight. Uh, Our church began last Sunday a sermon series in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Last Sunday, uh, we looked at the genealogy of Jesus, what it tells us. Uh, about Christ, where he came from, what are the significant names uh, in his lineage. We will see one of those names pop up again uh, tonight in our text. Uh, in a couple of days, on Sunday morning, we will take up uh, Matthew chapter 2, and we will see there the fulfillment of so many of these prophecies. And uh, tonight, we zero in on the angel announcing the news to Joseph, and we read his faithful response. Uh, to the news of the arrival of this child. Uh, So we will read, pray, uh, and then preach briefly from this text. Would you follow along with me in your copy of God's word, Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. Would you go with me again in prayer? Lord, we ask tonight that you would still our hearts to hear the news of the gospel. In these familiar stories, we often remember, for your people are listening. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. One of the most significant decisions that parents will ever make is the name to give to their children. You have been there, many of you, and you've thought uh, long and hard over picking out just the right name. Right? Names are deeply personal. They come to be sort of a part of our identity over time. Some of you are named after family members. Maybe you're named after Bible characters. Maybe you're named after other heroes. Uh, maybe your parents just want to make sure all the kids in your family started with the same initial in all of their names. Or, or even that all their names have the same number of letters in them to get it just right. For many of us, our parents picked our names because they mean something. All right, They have found some root to our name in another language and that meaning is our parents' hope for our lives. When it comes to this birth... The birth we celebrate tonight, the greatest birth of all, just by looking at the names, we can learn the story of who this baby is and what he has come to do. But before we get to the names, we need to see this child brought safely into the world in the first place. So our text begins not with naming the child, but with the problem of the child in the first place. As you know, you may have missed, but just to be reminded, we have a bride-to-be, and she's pregnant. This is a problem. She's pregnant enough for everyone to be able to see and to know, and this is before her wedding day. So this is not a good look for this bride-to-be. It's not a good look for Joseph. Beyond these appearances, of course, there's a deeper problem. The problem is that it appears that that there's evidence in this woman of some sort of immoral behavior. If you're reading this for the first time, you come across this, this little stunning line at the end of verse 18. Right? It says that she is with child from the Holy Spirit. Matthew's to let this truth sink in and for us to get our bearings. There's no explanation about how this could be possible. He simply tells us that God the Spirit has done a miraculous work in this woman's womb so that life is created without the the natural process that usually creates life. We know from Luke's gospel, Mary knows what's going on. It doesn't seem like Joseph has a clue yet, or if he does, he's struggling to believe it. So here's our problem. Before the marriage has even begun, it's on the rocks. For Joseph to marry this woman would be as if he is confessing that it's his fault, that he's the father of the baby, which he's not. So how are we going to solve this problem? How is Joseph going to solve this problem? He comes up with a plan. It's a simple plan. He will simply divorce her. Now, you may be wondering how can he divorce her? They're not married yet uh, in that day to be betrothed was a whole lot more serious than our engagements, right? And so, uh, though they're not technically married, uh, they're just about so in the custom of the day. Now, Joseph has this plan, and the plan comes out because the Bible says he's a just man. He's a just man. It means he's righteous. doesn't mean he's sinless, but it means he's a man of godly character. It means he's faithful to God. It means he follows God's law in every way he knows how to. God's law is clear. That Joseph cannot in good faith marry this woman. So he resolves to divorce her quietly. Now we often think of God's law as something that's harsh. It's mean. It is unbending. It is a a burden to us. And that for us to find grace means that we can just sort of ignore parts of God's law. We can just kind of fudge with his law because we sort of get grace today. But Joseph can't do that. Joseph's just, he's righteous. He can't just play fast and loose with the truth of God's word. So his actions must follow God's law. So here's the thing that Joseph knows. He knows that for him to be just, it must start with the truth. Justice for Mary does not mean punishment. It means he needs to find out what actually happened to her. We need to find out who this father is. We need to ask him some questions. We might need to hear their accounts. We might even need to ask some witnesses. The problem is Joseph can't do any of that. We know why. Because there is no earthly father to be found. And so Joseph knows if he can't establish her guilt, then he can't punish her, which is a good thing. Because she's innocent. And this is a conundrum for Joseph. Now, Those of you who have, are members of our church, you will remember a story from a couple weeks ago. The story of Judah and Tamar in the Old Testament. It's found in Genesis chapter 39. It's a, the story of an unmarried woman who becomes pregnant, Tamar. And Judah, her father-in-law, hears about it. And here's his first response. He says, bring her out and let her be burned. Now, that, that is not the response of a just man. That's the response of a rash and unjust man. The difference here is that Joseph, unlike Judah, he's slow to cast judgment. He's thoughtful. He's patient. He knows that rarely is the rash response a just response. Verse 20 tells us that Joseph is considering these things, and he comes up with this plan to sort of honor her and show compassion to Mary, but also maintain justice, to divorce her quietly because he is, quote, unwilling to put her to shame. He cannot marry her, but the justice of God guides him to act with compassion and mercy to her. Why do we learn this about Joseph? Why does it matter? It matters because in the sovereign plan of God, this infant child, his own son, will be protected and raised and cared for by a quiet man of just character. It's God's provision for his own. So Joseph comes up with this plan to solve the problem, but it doesn't matter how just it is. It it never comes to pass. Right, while he's considering it, before he's enacted, it, he is patiently considering it. An angel appears to him in a dream. And we learn not of Joseph's plan, we learn of God's plan. And as always, God's plans are better than our plans. What's God's plan? Don't divorce her, marry her. And raise her child as your own. God's plan and purposes comes through by the names of, That the angel uses. Think with me about these names. And how they tell the story. The first name. Is that the angel calls Joseph. The son of David. Now if you're not familiar with your Bibles. Joseph's actual dad is not named David. David's his great 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 great. 14 or so generation. Grandfather. 28 generations. Way back. But he is called the son of David. Because he's in the, the, the lineage. Of David. And the significance of David is that David was the king. He was the great king. And to David was given a promise that his son would sit on his throne forever. So the son of David is royalty. By calling Joseph the son of David, we are reminded of his royalty. Jesus is not born by being born to Mary into royalty. He needs a dad who is an heir of David. So Joseph must marry Mary, but not only marry her, he is to be the one that gives her, gives, sorry, her child, his name. He doesn't get to come up with it. The angel tells him that he is the one to call the child's name Jesus, but as the one giving the name, he's actually claiming the child as his own. It's sort of a form of adoption. marrying the mother and giving the name adopts the child as his son so the son of Joseph is now made by adoption the son of David and he now inherits the claim to David's forever throne the child who has come is royalty he will sit on his father David's throne forever and that's just the first name the second name The angel gives is the name Jesus. This is actually not an uncommon name in that day. Jewish fathers would sometimes name their sons Jesus to show their hope of God coming to save. The Greek name Jesus reflects the Hebrew name Joshua or Yeshua, which means Yahweh or the Hebrew word for the Lord saves. So there's this expectation in Israel that a Savior's coming, a Messiah's coming. Now, they all expected him to be like a political Messiah or a national Savior to come. You hear this all the time today, don't you? People speak of Jesus as the one who liberates us, the one who sets us free from earthly powers and earthly rulers and earthly oppression. People speak of Jesus as if he's this political Messiah. But look carefully at what the text says. What type of saving do God's people need? Verse 21, he will save his people from their sins. What do the people of God need to be saved from? Not Roman tyranny, but from their own sin. What keeps us captive and condemned it's ourselves it's not someone else doing it to us it's our own sin it's like it's like when when your dog gets running around in its leash and gets totally tangled up in its leash and gives you that pathetic look for help right to come and untangle it it's all the dog knows it's all his fault and he just needs you to come save him the chains that bind us are not put on us from the outside They are our own thoughts and words and actions against God's law. Our open rebellion against our creator has left us desperate for saving. God saves through this child. How can we be freed from our own sin, from our own guilt, from our own shame? It's this child. He must be born. He must live and grow and go to the cross and die a death in our place, receiving the judgment of God so that the king, the son of David, saves by his death and his resurrection for his people. He is the son of David. He is Jesus. Quickly, the final name. This child shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is actually the title of the sermon series we're going to be in in our church for over a year. Matthew, God with us. Remember how the story begins in Genesis? God with his people they're in the garden. They're happy, they're at peace, they have everything they need. There's harmony and friendship with God. But then man sins and shatters the peace. And Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden. They are no longer with God. God is no longer with us because of the fall. And here comes this child, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, called God with us. What's so important about him being born to a virgin, uh, which means that the Holy Spirit is the one who gives him life. It means that this child is the Son of God. He is divine. He is God Himself. But He's also man. He's born of, of a woman. He is our flesh. He is our blood. That prophecy we read from Isaiah, it is fulfilled in him. See, there's two sides. God and man, and they are separated by sin. But here in this one man, the two sides are brought together. That which was broken is healed by the son. The salvation of God has come to his people. And with this promise, we know that he is with us always, even to the end of the age. These are the great names of Christmas. David, Jesus, Emmanuel. There's one name, though, that we can't live without. You may have missed it. There's one other other name in here, and that's our name. What are we called? You know, tomorrow morning, for many of you, there's going to be a giving out of presents. And those presents go to the person whose name is on the present, right? And so you'll find them and pass them out, and you'll get... The present with your name on it. Well, who, what is our name in this passage? We find it in verse 21. It says he will save his people from their sins. The people of Jesus. What does he call you, brother and sister in Christ? He calls you his people. You are the ones of whom he says, I have called you by name. You are Mine, this savior, this gift has our name on it and we are his. Indeed, the names tell the story. The son of David is the royal king. Jesus is the God who saves and Emmanuel is God with us, with his people in Christ. God is with us to save us from our sins and lead us into his everlasting kingdom So dear friend, receive him tonight in faith and rest upon him as his beloved people. Let's pray. Our Lord, we praise you that you have come, that you have taken on human flesh, that your glory is cloaked for a time by our very nature. And that in that descent into our world, you took on the title of the son of David he took on the title of God who saves. He took on the title of God with us. Lord, open the eyes of our hearts tonight that with flesh we might see you and behold you as who you are. That these names might be even more real for us tonight who we would embrace our names. And then by faith, who would bear that title with pride of your people. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.